Mark chapter 3. We're making our way through. Lord willing, we're going to finish up the third chapter of Mark today. We had some heavy stuff last week, a real tough one last week. We made it through though. If you, uh, if you care to, to hear some of these others, maybe you kind of miss from time to time or you hadn't been here for some of these past sermons, uh, they are available online if you would like to catch up. Uh, and, or you missed one along the way, just let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how to, how to get to those easily on your smartphone or on your computer. Uh, but those are available online. And you can also find them uh, on Facebook if you follow us on Facebook there on there. Uh, but we are continuing on in Mark today. In Mark chapter 3, we'll start in verse 31. And we'll read through 35, the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 3. Verses 31 through 35. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting in the circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these words. And God, I pray that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to help everyone here, dear Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit... Touch our hearts today that we hear something, that you speak to us in some way, dear Lord. You know what's on our heart, good or bad. I pray that you uh, would just encourage us and bring us joy if we need it or correct us if we need it, whatever it may be, dear Lord. Let your spirit have, have, have reign in our heart today. Let us open our hearts to you, dear Lord. I pray, God, that you help us as we look at these words, that we remember them, that we tuck them away, that we think about them, God, that we recall your words that we just read in our time of need. And I pray, God, that you just give us a good service today. I pray that you hide me behind the cross. I pray that you take away any pride I have, dear Lord, that you humble me today to be a a faithful messenger of you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Much like the few verses we read last week, we really must take these verses today in the whole context of this passage that we've been on for the last few weeks. Now, uh, we started this uh, back in verse uh, 20 when we begin to to talk about a house that was divided. Uh, Jesus was there. He had returned back home, and it said some came to him. Probably it was his family and friends. There were so many who were coming that when his family and friends saw that he didn't have time to eat, they said, look, he's crazy. And so they were trying to to keep Jesus from doing the work, but Jesus uh, went on and talked to this group of Pharisees that had come to him, and they accused him. They accused him uh, of being Satan or being possessed by a demon, saying that the miracles that he was doing, that is the, the casting out of demons, he was doing it because he was a demon or he was Satan himself. And Jesus, he comes back at them and tells them that that's a pretty stupid argument, but that he drives out demons because he is God by the very finger of God. He does that by the power of God. Uh, and, and he goes on to say, and what we read last week, he, he talks about and gives a warning of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, talking about that being a sin uh, that cannot be forgiven. And then we move on today and kind of shift gears greatly from what we talked about last week And here we're introduced to this part of the passage where his 
family, his mother and brothers and sisters, are coming to him. Now, you may have noticed in your translation, depending there, uh, in verse um, uh, verse 32, uh, where it says that his, his mother and his brothers and sisters came. Some of your translations may not have the word sisters there. Uh, some of the manuscripts have that and some don't. But regardless, later on down the verse, it does say the word sisters, and that's probably in everybody's Bible. So the point being is that those who were Jesus' relatives were there. His mother was there, his brothers was there, his sisters were there, and they were there to see Jesus. Now, they had just come to him in the verses prior to this whole uh, account with these Pharisees who were accusing him of the demon stuff. They had just come to him, his family and friends did. They thought he was crazy because he wasn't even taking time out to eat, uh, but was continuing to do all of this work that he had been doing. And then after this little episode passed with the Pharisees, here are his family, his mother and his brothers and sisters, who are still there trying to get his attention. And so in the context of what we've seen through this whole passage, I believe it will help us to understand maybe what was going on here in Jesus' response and what he said when he was approached by those telling him that his family was there. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother... Your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. So his family's still trying to get his attention. They're still trying to get a hold of him. And they tell him, look, your brothers and your mother and your sisters are, are, are there outside. They're, they're waiting for you. Now, these were blood relatives, no doubt, of Jesus Christ. It was probably Mary, his, his, his half-brothers and sisters there. Uh, and, and they were real relatives of Jesus Christ. And they were coming to Jesus... But Jesus doesn't seem to be terribly concerned with the fact that they are calling for him right now. And when he is approached and told that they are outside, Jesus says in verse 33, he replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Now, he's not asking that question because he's got amnesia and he's forgotten who his family is. He's asking that question to make a point. He's making a point here to those who are listening to him when Jesus talks about family, when he talks about mother and brothers and sisters and being part of family, Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he goes on to say exactly who they are. He says, and looking around at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, now those in that circle could have been any of the group who were around who were listening to what Jesus had to say. It could just be the inner circle, that is, the apostles who followed Jesus. Regardless of whoever it was, there were some there who were, who were beside him in a circle who were close enough that they could hear. And Jesus told those in this circle this. He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister, or excuse me, is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus says, those who are part of my family, Jesus says, those who I'm acquainted with, those who are mine, are the ones who do the will of God. Now, Jesus isn't, I don't believe, being disrespectful to or dissing his mother or his family here. There may be a couple of occasions that we see in Scripture that may make us scratch our head by the way that Jesus may refer to his mother or the, the things that, that, that he may say. And sometimes we may want to read into what Jesus says, maybe the way that we would say things, or maybe the way that we, we think our children would say things. 
perhaps. Uh, for instance, the first real mention we see of Jesus after his birth is the mention of him getting left behind and his family leaves and they go back and look for him. He's at the temple and Jesus said, well, where did you expect me to be? I'm doing my father's business. I'm about my father's work in the father's house. Now, uh, I don't believe Jesus was being smart aleck there. Uh, we may read into that text, that, that attitude, but it's 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 it's... Well, I was going to say unlikely, but it's impossible that Jesus would have an attitude that would be bad and sinful because Jesus didn't sin. He makes these statements to his mother, but they're out of respect. They're out of a pure heart when he says things like that. Uh, when he refers to her as woman, when she says, look, uh, turn this water into wine. We need some wine. Do something about it, she told Jesus to do. And Jesus said, well, it's, it's not my time to do this yet. My time hasn't come. Uh, but reluctantly, he did do what she asked him to do. But in that case, he referred to her as woman. What concern of this is mine? Now again, we may look at statements like that and think, well, boy, Jesus is being disrespectful. But Jesus was not being disrespectful in the way that he treated his mother or the way that he treated his family. Jesus even went so far into one passage to say uh, that we should hate our families. We should hate our, 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 those who come, our brothers and our mothers and our sisters. Now, is Jesus really telling us that we are to hate those people in our life? That's a pretty strong word. We're not supposed to hate anybody, right? We're supposed to love everybody. Some would look at that passage and say, ha, this proves that the Bible is contradictory. But when Jesus made that statement, he was not literally telling us that we needed to hate others. He was simply using it as a contrast to make a point. That we were to love him above all. Now, that word that was used for hate there can be translated as, as love less than. And that's exactly the heart that Jesus had in that passage. What he was saying is that we are to love him above all. That while we love our families, while we love our spouses and we love our children, and there are people in this world that we love dearly, we should always love Jesus more than we love those people around us and more than we love those things around us. Because sometimes the people that we love and the things that we love will keep us from doing God's will. Now maybe intentionally or maybe unintentionally, but Jesus knew what he was called to do. He knew while he, was, while he was on this earth, and he knew what the will of the Father was. And Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father. That was his number one concern. We see that from the time that he's 12 years old when his family goes back to get him. He must be about his Father's work. That's what he desired to do. He was always going to do the will of the Father, and he was not going to let anyone stand in his way. Now, those of us who come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and humble ourselves before him and choose to follow him as Lord in our life, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. We are Jesus Christ's brothers and sisters. Why? Because we are doing the will of God. That's what God wants us to do, is to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, to accept Him as our Lord and Savior, to follow Him, to accept the sacrifice that was given on our behalf on the cross, to be covered by the blood that was slain and shed by Jesus Christ so that we may be forgiven. That's the will of God, that we would all come to Jesus Christ and that we would be His, that we would all be called children of God, that we would all be brothers and sisters in Christ through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Now, when Jesus makes this statement here, when He says, look, 
Everyone who does the will of God is my mother and my brother and sister. I think what he was saying, based in the context of the whole text, is he was not going to allow his family to keep him from doing what he knew God had called him and sent him to this earth to do. Now remember, they had already tried to do that at the beginning of the passage. Jesus had come to preach and to teach. He came to tell people that the kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, repent. That's what he had come to do, and that's what he had been doing in the first uh, two chapters here that we've read on into chapter 3. He had been doing the will of the Father. Now, his family, as we had talked a few weeks ago, probably had Jesus' uh, uh, physical interest in mind. They saw the crowds were swarming. They knew that he was not getting much of a break, so much so that he wasn't even able to eat. And they said, this is crazy. What are you doing? You've got to stop at least to eat. You can't just always be doing all this work you're doing. And his family was trying to stop him, and they thought they had his best interest in mind. And physically, they thought he needed to break, but he knew that to serve the Father was more important than to eat some food or to take a little extra time to sleep, and he was willing to be about the Father's work. Now, we see this type of heart that Jesus had all throughout his ministry, that the crowds were coming, and he was patient and compassionate on them, and he would preach to them, and sometimes he would send his disciples away, and he would catch up with them later, and he would spend time in prayer, and it would be early in the morning, or it may be late at night, and Jesus would take times, and he would get away, and those times were hard to come by for Jesus, because the people were always coming to him. But yet he always was healing. He was always driving out demons. He was always doing miracles. He was always preaching the gospel. He was always letting them know that the time had come to repent, that he had come, that they need to listen and pay attention to what all the prophets had said in the Old Testament, that the Messiah was coming and they needed to realize that he was finally here, that he was the Messiah. And so Jesus uh, had been doing that throughout the whole book of Mark that we see and throughout the gospel of counts. And while his family was trying to, at least in this instance, stop him for a little while uh, to get a bite to eat, Jesus didn't give in. He did, not, he did not consider his family unimportant, I don't believe. I believe Jesus loved his family greatly. But he knew that doing the will of God was more important than what his family may ask him to do. Now that's important for us to realize because there may be things in our life that God has called us to do. There may be something in your life that God has put on your heart that he's called you to do and you are just passionate about it and you want to do it. And everybody else, they may say, that'll never work. Well, that's a good idea, but that's never going to fly. Or that's too dangerous. Or you can't do that. You're not, you don't have enough education to do that. You don't have the skills to do that. But yet and still, we may feel very convicted and know for a fact that this is what God has called me to do. Now, if you've ever felt that before, you know that you just it's hard to escape those convictions. I can tell you for a fact, I tried to escape uh, getting into ministry for years. I knew from the time I was a teenager that God had called me to be in the ministry, but I didn't ever give in to that. I fought that and fought that and fought that and fought that till I couldn't anymore. Why? Because I knew what God had called me to, and I could not deny that. Praise the Lord. He was patient with me. Perhaps there could have come a time that I would have quit for so long that he might would have given up on that call in my life, but praise the Lord, he didn't. And if you've ever felt something like that, that God is calling you to something, 
maybe not the, the ministry, so to speak. It may just be something as simple as going to pray for a friend who's in need. Whatever it may be, if God has called you to do something, it's hard to, to, to be at peace unless you are doing what God has called you to do. And sometimes God calls us to do things, and we feel that God has placed on our heart, this is what you need to do. But for those around us, our family and our friends, who have not experienced God's call in the same way, they may not understand. They may think that we're crazy. They may even try to stop us. Well, you can't do that. That's not healthy for you. You're not resting enough. You're not eating enough. You can't go there. That's too dangerous. You can't do that. Nobody's going to come to that. Nobody's going to take part in that. That's not going to work. It's a great idea, but it would never work. And our family and friends try to talk us out of things that God has already talked us into. Now, our family and friends don't, don't know maybe that they're trying to get us to do something that, that, that God has called us to do. They think maybe we're just crazy. Maybe we're not thinking straight. But let us, let us be careful when we see those who we love, who come up with an idea, who begin to serve God in a certain way. And maybe to us it looks like they're doing something that doesn't make any sense. But maybe, just maybe, and sometimes we don't think about this, maybe just maybe they're doing exactly what God called them to do. Now I want to tell you, if you've never read God's Word, you need to read it. Because what you will discover is that very seldom does God do things the way that you think that they should be done. He uses the people that you never thought He would use. He uses the means that you never thought He would use. He does some crazy stuff. He calls His people to do some crazy stuff. The people that Jesus picked to follow Him, the apostles, we talked about them a couple months back. Those, the, that, that group that Jesus fit are a group that, that no religious leader of the day would pick. In case you haven't realized, Jesus chooses the people who, are, who seem to be the, the least qualified for the job. All the way back to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses said, I can't do it. i got a speaking problem. I can't speak well. Guess what? God used him. We see that kind of thing throughout God's Word. We're going through the book of Judges on Wednesday night. Uh, just a little, little plug there if you want to go through. Come on Wednesday night. But what we will see in the book of Judges is these judges that, God's pick, that God picks to use, well, these aren't really great people. They get worse and worse and worse throughout the book as we go. And sometimes... God picks people, and it may even be you. And you may not feel qualified. And there may be those around you who say, boy, doing it that way is crazy. Or, or, are you not able to do that? But if God has called you to it, I want you to stick with it. And if you know somebody and you think, boy, what they're doing is crazy, I want you to pray about it and say, God, I don't want to stop them. I don't want to stand in the way of your will. God, if you've called them to something then let me support them. Let me be there to help them. Let me encourage them. Let me pray for them. Let me not give them a word of discouragement, but let me give them a word of encouragement. And sometimes, maybe we have all probably done it, we've kind of stood in the way of God's will, and, and, and all with a good heart, and not knowing we are. But there may be things that God is calling others to, or maybe things that God has called you to that you've been too scared to do them because you're afraid what people may think. Well, I want us to be people who think, praise the Lord at what he and she is doing. Praise the Lord that they're willing to step out, and they're willing to go, and they're willing to do, and they're willing to do it with all their heart because they have a right heart. Because that's all that God needs to use us. That's all he needs. He doesn't need us to be wealthy. He doesn't need us to be well-educated. He doesn't need us to be, to be any of those things. What God needs to use us is a willing heart, period. If you've got a willing heart and you seek the Lord, 
God can use you. Should He choose to, He will use you if you open yourself up to Him. But if we don't open our hearts to Him, if we don't have a willing heart to serve, well, it's going to be hard for us to serve God. It's going to be hard for Him to use us because we're not going to be listening to Him and wanting to do His will more than anything else. But Jesus wanted to do the will of God more than anything in this world. And He said, look, these are my brothers and sisters, those who do the will of God. And that should be what's above all for us. It's following Jesus Christ and doing God's will should be above all that we have. All of our possessions, all of our comforts, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the ridiculing that we may take. Loving Jesus should be above all those things. And if it is, then we will be able to overcome those things. We will be able to be content in those things, no matter how good they are or how bad they are, if we keep Jesus above all. In Matthew chapter 16, I'll give you a good example of what I just talked about. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus knew what He was called to do. He knew that He was going to die on the cross. That was God's will, that He would be a sacrifice for our sins, and He humbly gave Himself on a cross so that we could be forgiven. But even in Jesus' inner circle of those who were around Him, we even see a good example, I believe, in Scripture of one who was very close to Jesus, who was trying to keep Him from doing what God had called Him to do. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, Matthew 16, 21 through 23, it says, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen. Jesus knew the time was getting close. He said, Look, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be killed. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. Things are going to be bad. This is what's going to happen. Now, listen to what happens next. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But he turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Now, I think this is a great example because here Peter was a friend of Jesus. If your friend come to you and told you, well, I'm just going to go to this place and when I get there, it's going to be really bad and they're going to kill me. You would say, what are you, crazy? Don't go to that place. You can't do that. No way. Well, that's exactly what Peter did. He said, no, that'll never happen. No, Lord, I'll never let that happen to you. But isn't it interesting what Jesus' response was to Peter? He said... Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> wow, that's pretty strong words to say. Now, I don't believe that Peter was possessed by Satan here, but this very thought, this very act that, that, that Peter was speaking of, this was of the devil. Because who wanted to keep Jesus from the cross? It was Satan. Jesus used these very words to Satan when he started his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, you can read that. When Jesus was, uh, was in the wilderness and the devil came to him and tried to tempt him. Why did he try to tempt him? He was trying to keep him from going to the cross. He was trying to get him to fail before his ministry began. And do you know what Jesus told him at the end of that account? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. And that's the same thing here. It's still the devil who is trying to keep the Lord's will from being done. And he was using Peter. And Peter probably didn't even realize it. 
He was trying to keep Jesus from doing what God called him to do. He thought he was being a good friend, but Jesus knew where those where that thought come from. That thought came from the devil. If the devil could keep Jesus from the cross, then we would have no salvation. We would have no forgiveness of sins, and the devil would have won. So Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Then he goes on to explain what's going on. He says, you are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. That is, you're not, you're not worried about what God's will is. You want your will to be done. You want me to be safe. You want me to be okay. You don't want me to have to suffer. But that's not what God wills. Now, that's contrary sometimes to what we may hear in the world. That God may will for us sometimes to go through suffering for Him. Not just Jesus. We see all throughout God's Word that sometimes God calls those of us who are His that we may have to, it may be God's will that we suffer so that His work can be done. And we need to realize that, that because we're going somewhere or see someone else going somewhere or doing something that is costly or dangerous, we may say, well, surely that's not what God wants them to do. But that may be exactly what God wants them to do. And so we don't want to be guilty of what Peter is guilty of here. We want to be prayerful and say, okay, God, help me to know. Help me to be there for that person. Help me to, to encourage them and, and lead them on. And if it's not of you, God, help me to know so that, I can, so that I can stand up and help me to speak a word to them so that they can know it's not of you. That's a, it's not something that's going to happen in like two seconds. It's probably something we're going to have to pray over for a long time. This is big when people are doing things for the Lord. But we don't want to be those who are guilty of looking at our own interest and, our, and, and man's interest and our own will above God's will. We see a similar thing happen to Paul in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had already re revealed to Paul uh, in the verses previous that Paul was going to go to Jerusalem, and when he got there, he was going to suffer greatly. Now, Paul had suffered greatly a lot to this point. This was nothing new to him. He had been doing this for years. When he got to Jerusalem, he was going to have to suffer greatly. He knew that, but yet he was willing to go. God had revealed to him what was going to happen, but he was still willing to go because he knew he needed to go and serve the Lord. As he was preparing on his way back to Jerusalem, he encountered several friends and several brothers and sisters in Christ along the journey. And a couple of times they tried to talk him out of going. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. This is the people of Caesarea here who are speaking to Paul. When he heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped, uh, we stopped and simply said, The Lord's will be done. Now, this is kind of what, what, what Peter was doing to Jesus here. These people knew what was going to happen to Peter, what was going to occur, and they tried to stop him. And Peter said, why are you breaking my heart in this way? I'm not only willing to go be imprisoned and beaten, I'm willing to go and die for Jesus. I'm, where, I'm ready to pay the ultimate price. I'm ready to put Jesus above all and give my all for Jesus Christ so that he can be preached in Jerusalem and to all those that I encounter. And it says the people heard what he said and they stopped trying and they said, the Lord's will be done. Now, there may be people in our life, and you may be one of them, or you may know them, 
that are doing things that seem crazy to you, but they are, they are convinced and determined it's what the Lord wants them to do and how the Lord wants them to live their life. And this might be the good advice for us, that we simply say, okay, Lord, your will be done. And I believe that that's what Jesus is talking about here in this passage when he talks about his brothers and his mother and his sisters. He's, he's reminding the people that doing God's will is more important uh, than, than family. That serving the Lord it, it comes above spending time with his family and even comes above his own needs. We see that with Jesus and we see it with Paul, that they put their own life on the line to do the Lord's work and the Lord's will. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verses 36 through 39... This is a parallel to the passage I referenced a while ago in Luke chapter 14. I told you a while ago in Luke chapter 14 about Jesus saying that we should hate our families. And that that word probably didn't mean hate in the same way that we think about it. But praise the Lord that Matthew gives us some clarity because he uses different language than what, than what, uh, than what Luke uses. And so it helps us to understand, I believe, exactly what Jesus meant in this passage. In Matthew chapter 10... Verses 36 through 39, Jesus says this, And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. Now, Matthew gives us some clarity there because he says, the person who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus knows that there are things of this world, relationships in this world, people that we love dearly, and we should that may keep us from doing his will or may may keep or, or may or we may keep others from doing God's will. Now, here's a good example. I made a reference a few weeks back to a book that I'd, I'd read called Kisses from Katie. Wonderful book. You should read it if you if you if you haven't read it. About a teenage girl who decides about 16 that she wants to go uh, to a foreign country on a mission trip. She does some research, decides to go to Africa. She goes to Africa. She works at this orphanage taking care of kids for one summer, and she falls in love with. It. Now it's a pretty rich girl from a pretty wealthy uh, area in Tennessee. Uh, comes from a good family. Had a good opportunity to go to college. Could have done anything she wanted to do. Wouldn't have had any worries. Uh, everything would have been taken care of. And of all things, she decides that she wants to go to Africa and live there forever. And she tells her parents, hey, I'm gonna, I want to go to Africa and serve. Well, her parents were reluctant. They didn't want her to go. But they finally, after she continued on, she continued on, she was passionate about it, they finally agreed to allow her to go. Her father went with her when she flew there to stay, when she was finally going to go and the time came. He insisted that he go with her and he went and when he got there and saw that it was horrible, the conditions were horrible, the people were diseased, he begged her, please come back, you don't have to do this. But she didn't give up. She said, I'm going to stay because this is where I feel like God wants me to be. Now, there's a good example of, of loving a child. Now, anybody in here that's had a child, hopefully you have loved your child. You would probably give your life for your child. 
And I don't have a child, but I can imagine that if my child were to say to me, I'm going to go to this place that's super dangerous where my life is at risk, where I could catch a hundred different diseases in a day, or I could be killed at any moment, a parent might be hesitant to let their child go. We may even try to talk our child out of it. But if that's God's will for our child's life, then we need to, to be mindful of that. And it may not mean that they're going to be safe always, but God is going to be there with them, whatever they go through, and God is going to use them because He has called them to do His will. On the flip side of that, as a child, it may be difficult if God is calling you. It wasn't easy for her. She wasn't just saying, well, I'm so glad to leave my family behind and leave. No, it was difficult. It was a painful thing to give up everything you've ever known and your friends and your family, to leave all that behind and say, Lord, I'm willing to serve you. I look, I look to you as above all, as above my father and my mother and my brother and my sister. God, I love you so much, no matter how much I love them, I'm not going to let them keep me from doing what you've called me to do. And I believe that that's what Jesus is talking about here. When he says, look, when we follow him, he goes on to say, we must be willing to take up our cross. That is, we must view him and put him above all in our life. Our families, our comforts, all the things that we want and desire, Jesus has to be above those things. And we must know going into it that when we choose to follow Jesus, we are humbling him and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. You gave all for me and I want to give all for you. And when we do that, well, we never know where God's going to lead us. We never know what God's will is going to be for our life. But we have to be ready to put Jesus above all in our life. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus was exhibiting here in Mark chapter 3. His family had come. He didn't rush out to them. He said, these are my brothers and sisters, those of you who do the will of God. I don't think he was slighting his family. I think he was saying, look, to do God's will is more important to me than to go and do what my family tells me to do because they may be trying to keep me away from God's will and God's work. I want to share with you one story in closing today. Uh, and that's a story uh, 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 from, a, from, a, from a man named Richard Wormbrandt. Now, some of you may have heard of Richard Wormbrandt before. You should look him up and read his story. It's pretty phenomenal. Uh, he, was a, he was a Christian in Romania who was in prison because he would not die, uh, deny Jesus Christ. Now, it was a communist area where he lived, and he was not willing to deny Jesus Christ. Now, there were some Christians in the area who were saying, well, look, Christianity and communism can work together. And Wormbrandt stood up and said, no, it can't. You can't be communist and Christian. Those two things, those values don't line up. Well, he was in prison. He was in prison for a total of 14 years because he would not deny Jesus Christ. And in his imprisonment, there were other brothers and sisters in Christ who were in prison with him. And he tells many stories about the things that he went through and the things that others went through. Now this story is, is pretty extreme, but it shows you just how serious, when Jesus tells us we are to put him above all things, this story really, at least when I hear it and read it, it really grabs my heart and makes me think, whoa, boy, there may be times in, Jesus Christ, in our life when, it's, when Jesus calls us to do things that are really hard to do. One of the stories he shares is this. A pastor by the name of Florescu was tortured with red-hot iron pickers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then, starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep, but had to defend himself all the time. If he resisted a moment, 
the rats would attack him. He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brother, but he resisted steadfastly. In the end, they brought his 14-year-old son and began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished him to say. The poor man was half mad. He bore it as long as he could. When he could not stand it anymore, he cried out to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating anymore. The son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice to have a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. The communists, enraged, fell upon the child and beat him to death. With blood splattered over the walls of the cell, he died praising God. Our dear brother Skew, Florescu, was never the same after seeing this. Now when Jesus says that we are to love him above all, this story really puts that into perspective here. Here was a man that had been imprisoned, who had been beaten, and here his son was being beaten in front of him. And he said, I must say what they want me to say. I must give up on my brothers. I must, I must give up on Jesus. I must say what they want me to say. And what a beautiful response from the son of all the things the son could say. You might say, please, Father, please say it so the beatings will stop. But he didn't do it. Neither one of them did it. Because the son said, Father, don't do me the injustice to have a traitor as a parent. Withstand. Now there's two men who loved Jesus above all. They were both willing to suffer. The father was not willing to give up on the son. The son was not willing to give up on the father. No matter how difficult it was, they were willing to take up their cross and carry it. They were willing to follow Jesus. They were willing to be there with one another in the sufferings so that Jesus Christ could be glorified. Now this is a tough story. But there are some good stories that he says. Stories that he tells about guards that, have, that, that gave their life to Jesus Christ. The very ones who were beating him after seeing the life that he and those who were in prison with him lived, they gave their life to Jesus Christ. We are to love Jesus above all. We need to pray that God would give us the strength in our toughest moments, in our toughest times, that we would love Jesus above all. That no matter what, our, what, what those around us may say, no matter how close they may be to us, if we feel God has called us to something and led us to something and wants to use us for something, let us be faithful to be obedient to God's will and be brothers and sisters of Christ because those are the ones who are brothers and sisters to Christ, the ones who do God's will. And should we be the one that see our family and friends doing things that may seem a little crazy to us, if they're doing God's will and they believe they're doing God's will, then let us pray for them and let us encourage them. Let us put Jesus above all in our life. He puts you above everything for Him. He put the Father's will above everything for Him. He didn't have to give His life on a cross, but He did it. He did it for the forgiveness of your sins and for my sins. And now He is above all things. Is He above all things in your life? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight, or this morning, excuse me, and God, we thank you for your words. And I pray, God, that you just would help us to 
Make you above all in our life, dear Lord Jesus. There are things of this world that we, that we love. There are people in this world that we love, dear Lord. But I pray, God, that we, would never, that we would never seek to please people and not do your will, dear Lord. Let us do what you call us to, no matter how easy it may be or how hard it may be. And I pray, God, that you would give us the strength in all things to stand for you. God, I pray that if we know people in our life that are doing your work, Maybe it seems a little crazy to us, dear Lord. Maybe it doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But God, not many things in your word do make sense when it comes to the way you call people to do things. They, none of them are really the way we would have done them. But God, your way is the right way, and you call the right people every time, dear Lord. Always. God, if there's one in this room that, that feels led to do something, they feel like you put it on their heart, but they're making excuses. Well, I'm not good enough, or I can't do it, dear Lord. You don't call the wrong people, dear Lord. You only call the right people the people that you can use. So God, I pray that if there's one in this room that you want to use today, let them step out. No matter how crazy it may be, let them do it for you. God, I pray that they would do so and say, look, I'm going to serve you above all. God, I pray that if there are some in this room that never have accepted Jesus Christ today, that they would know, God, that He is your Son, that He's the Savior of the world, that through His death on the cross there is forgiveness of sins. And God, I pray that they would turn their life over to Him today, that they would follow Him that they would humble themselves before Him, dear Lord, and that they would make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.